Well, the time is now 13 minutes to two. Children's programmes begin at 4.20. But now we return to the pages of CFAX and some music. Hi, this is another episode of uh, Bite High No Limits Teletext People series. I'm Carl Atrell, and today we're speaking to a Graham Norwood. Graham Norwood is a prolific property writer in the UK, writing for such publications as Estate Agent Today and Letting Agent Today. But before all of this, he worked at CFAX for the news section, and this is what we're talking about today. So I started by asking Graham how he got to work at CFAX. Right, well, I, I always wanted to be a journalist, right, from, uh, I think, when I took the 11 plus, uh, which is now many, many years ago. Um, and uh, I was asked what I wanted to be, and I said I wanted to be a journalist. And um, I, so I did three years um, at university up the road from Cardiff in Swansea. Um, in my final year, I applied for the sort of much sought BBC news trainee scheme. And to be entirely honest, I was very sceptical and I thought, um, as I hadn't gone to Oxbridge uh, and I didn't have a private school education, I thought it most unlikely I'd succeed. But against all odds and my own extraordinary surprise, I was taken on by the BBC as a news trainee. And it's um, uh, an absolutely brilliant scheme. I think it's not very different today, some decades on. But what it does allow you to do is it allows you to spend a few days or a few, well, a few weeks or a few months, actually, in different parts of the BBC. So uh, the obvious ones that people wanted to go to were things like World Service, the TV newsroom, the main national radio newsroom, uh, but also... um, CFAX was an opportunity and I went to CFAX and it was only for about two weeks and then you're whisked off as a trainee to do other things but after um, about a year of the trainee scheme you are encouraged if you wish to apply for a permanent job within the BBC Um, one came up at CFAX uh, and I was very keen uh, on, on the basis of the fortnight or so I'd spent there in my first year at the corporation. I was very keen to explore it further. Uh, and that's how I came um, both to be interested in Teletext and to get a job there. And I, I was there for many years afterwards. So uh, when you went to um, CFAX, what was your, what was your first um, job there? Uh, the first job there was as, as a sub-editor. Um, by that time, and we're talking about uh, 1979, 1980 now, um, there was the, the hierarchy. It, it was small. It was a small office. I mean, there were only about 15 people in all, although that was much greater than uh, uh, it was just a, a few years before that. But out of that 15, there were a few researchers who... Um, if you like, didn't have any editorial responsibilities directly. They did do research or they looked at TV or they worked out TV listings or they did some information for anything from games to news features and so on. Um, But I went in as the next rung up, which was as a sub-editor. And that was 
pretty much exclusively on the news side, which is what I wanted. Um, there were three main uh, areas of output on CFAX which had sub-editors working for them, and those were news, finance, and sport. Um, and the other parts of CFAX, a very substantial number of pages, things like you know fun and games, TV listings, cinema reviews, all sorts of things. They were done really by a mixture of the researchers and in the sort of spare time, so to speak, of the sub-editors. So I did do a spattering of, of everything as a sub-editor, but it was chiefly news. Oh, I see. Okay, yeah. So did you? Um, so, so what other things did you dabble in? Did you dabble um, in fun and games? Well, I, I, yeah, I, I, um, I was very keen to... Um, get some film reviews there because I was always, as a kid, I was always fascinated by the cinema and uh, the prospect of living in London for the first time and having um, these opportunities to go to press showings of films, to be able to see a film on a Tuesday afternoon uh, that didn't get up, get out into the cinema until Friday was a, was a, was a strange thrill, I have to say. Um, so I enjoyed doing that. And so we set up this, uh, this uh, section called In the Two and Nines, and you sort of had to be of a certain age to make sense of that title. But back in um, back in the early 80s, that, that was, you know, had a bit of a ring to it. Uh, but it was, it was a weekly cinema section. We also had um, a few more slightly serious things. We had um, a sort of a face-to-face -face section, which I remember working on, which was we had two people with, if you like, polar opposite views on a subject. It wasn't always a serious subject. In fact, normally it wasn't at all a serious subject. But um, we had uh, people who would just submit, you know, four or five hundred words, and we'd, we'd tailor them a little bit to make them sensible within the confines of a CFAX page. So we did, we did that. Um, and, yeah, and I had my, my time on fun and games and... Um, we had to do some TV listings and the odd TV review, so it was it was a very eclectic um, editorially. It was a very eclectic experience. Did you find the style of uh, writing for teletext was um, was something you had to acquire quickly? Is it is, is a lot of people say to try and get the story in um, in a page in in three paragraphs and an explainer is 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 a bit of a dark yeah, art. It certainly is, uh, and I have to say, I mean. Um, you know, you had to develop an extraordinary skill. I mean, it wasn't anything that you know we had. We had to develop it. There was no choice because you had to have, you had to make a story make sense uh, in a very short number of words. So you, clearly, you simplified things. But I have to say, um, I've been a journalist for the last forty years. The last um, uh, twenty-five or more of which have been outside of CFAX, and there's there's never been. Uh, a story that I have written that I haven't subconsciously, if not consciously, been grateful to CFAX for, for the ability uh, to condense complex storylines and to write things concisely and to write them quickly. Because what really turned me on about CFAX, you know, the other news trainees all wanted to work in, they all wanted to be Kate Aidy or they all wanted to be, you know, John Humphreys reading the news on TV or whatever. But what turned me on to CFAX and why I wanted to get a job there was that it was so quick. Uh, there may, it may have had a pretty small audience compared to TV or radio, 
but it was a fantastic way of bringing news to people faster than anything else at that time. Uh, and and you know that was a that was a real real thrill for for you know somebody who wanted to be a journalist and part of that process is breaking news. Um, that was that was such a thrilling aspect of the medium. Yeah, and uh, were you still using um, sort of rip and read uh, to get your news in from from the agencies on telexes and the like at that time? Yes, we had uh, there were we had about six wire machines um, of which you, you know rip and read was uh, as as others have said in in this series um, rip and read was if you like the BBC's internal news agency which it ran primarily for local radio and for uh, things like the Radio 1 and Radio 2 short bulletins that they have on the hour or half hour. And so um, that was that was a, a pretty good condensed way of doing a story. In fact, some of those stories were shorter than CFAC stories because they had to have maybe six or eight stories in a two-minute bulletin on a, on, on a, a local radio station. So they were... You know, very short indeed. Plus, we also had the Press Association, and we had um, Reuters, and we had um, usually uh, they did vary over time. But we had uh, another foreign um, news agency called AFP, a French news agency, but that was in English. But it, it was a well-respected news agency. Plus, we had a couple of um, sports and finance feeds with uh, dedicated information coming obviously about sport from one of them and from the stock exchange uh, with the other. So uh, you were, it was, it, it, it was uh, in its time, absolutely cutting edge. I think over the last decade and a half, we've all been used to extraordinary breaking news, you know, on our phone, we, we get a ping and we suddenly realize what happened in the world a few moments earlier. But back in the eighties in particular, there was nothing quicker than teletext, and for all of its um, reputation, for all the blocky graphics and you know slightly funny things it did and everything else, uh, for me as a young journalist, I was sort of desperately keen to prove myself as a journalist. Uh, it was absolutely the number one thing to to get involved with. Working in that sort of time, were there any particular stories that you actually sort of um, <laughs> that, that stick out in the mind from reporting? Yeah, there were well, there were were well, a lot. I mean, you know, the, the ones that we all sort of, you know, that the whole world prepared for things like um, things like Mandela being released, Thatcher resigning after a few days of, of things like that. So that was sort of towards that was towards the end of the eighties uh, and early nineties. I remember a particularly tragic one um, was uh, the Challenger space aircraft. Uh, because one of the one of the things we had uh, within the BBC, and CFAX had this as much as any other part of the BBC, is that we had uh, several, you know, a, a bank of TV screens showing uh, live picture feeds, sometimes commentaries as well, from other broadcasters around the world, and uh, those were the ones that were primarily for use in the TV newsroom. So they could select images that they would then use at the six o'clock news or the ten o'clock news or whatever. Um, but we had access to them uh, as well, and it, I think by the time the Challenger disaster happened, people were 
quite blasé about um, uh, space space shots, uh, but it was a real shock because we were. It was about five thirty in the afternoon, I recall UK time, and um, we were looking at it going up, and we all thought, "Well, there you are. It's all done and dusted. Another space gone up." And then it suddenly and tragically exploded, and so we very quickly did a news flash and a story and. Um, I think on that, as on, as on as on many others, we were the quickest BBC outlet because we had access to the information, and we could immediately turn that, you know, literally within seconds into something that went on air. So um, it was a it was a you know in that case a, a very tragic story, but it was a privilege to be able to. Uh, be at the forefront of, of sort of immediate information then, the, the kind of immediate information that we take for granted now. But then it was a real, um, you know, really wonderful thing to be involved in. And there were other things, you know, there were, you know, things like political, you know, uh, Anwar Sadat, who was a leader in Egypt. Again, the reason I remember this is not that I had a great fascination with Egyptian politics, but it was something where the pictures were coming into the CFAX newsroom and it seemed a rather mundane thing, you know, a, a leader arriving at an airport and else. And suddenly the poor man was shot. And uh, again, you know, you, 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 you translated this immediacy into a very short, but, but um, you know, a, a fantastic piece of breaking news. Was there any times that the... Um... You, the, the, your teletext service was syndicated out to any other news services around the world or anything like that, do you know? Um, uh, syndicated is probably a slightly flattering term. Um, it happened in two or three different ways. Um, uh, I think probably the most prolific way was actually through individuals. Um, you know, for example, I went and uh, did a bit of work helping to set up a Hungarian teletext service um, and I went to Singapore when they were setting up uh, a teletext service there uh, and several others from CFAX because um, the BBC or Britain really was uh, leading in teletext creation um, different ones from, from us I think there were some from the ITV Oracle service and then teletext went on to uh, talk with others um, about it, and um, there were those. My own experience uh, was Hungary, uh, Singapore, and and the great thrill was um, doing a, a Los Angeles um, teletext service that was set up for the nineteen eighty. Uh, I can't remember. Was it nineteen eighty four or nineteen eighty six? Right, I think it was nineteen eighty four Olympics. Um, so uh, a, a TV station that had a very loose relationship with the BBC, a TV station called uh, KTTV in Los Angeles, um, may or may not still exist all these years on, but it, um, it uh, uh, wanted to do a teletext service to try to introduce teletext in the United States. It was very localised. It was only within... Los Angeles and, the, and the, that sort of greater Los Angeles area. So it was only in California, but it was one of the first ones in, in America. And I know that, you know, you, you've spoken uh, with Mort Smith and others who 
did much, much more work in the United States than I did. But I did a few weeks during the Olympics in Los Angeles. And, um, it, you know, you, you clearly felt um, that as a medium working, I think primarily working for the BBC, but I think working anywhere in Britain for a teletext service meant you were at the start of something that was very exciting. And the fact that we were requested by other broadcasters around the world to try to sort of lend our expertise was was flattering and uh, and actually jolly nice to go to these companies as well. And so there was that part. Uh, and I think we also did have some of our news information was used by, for example, the Irish um, service, RTE, the state broadcaster in the Republic of Ireland, uh, set up a service called Airtel, and uh, I think they used some CFAX news and sports pages and so on because they had a much smaller operation than we did. Um, and there was an obvious sort of, you know, physical proximity and, and similarity to the interest in stories. So they, they, by prior arrangement, they did use some of our stories. Um so yeah, so there was a, you know, we, we knew we were um, lucky enough to be some of the first in the world to be doing this sort of thing, and it was um, it was it was a good experience to sort of spread that information around. Oh, so um, when you mentioned the USA, um, would there be would you have any theories as to why um, the world standard teletext didn't take off in the USA? No, uh, no not really. I mean. Um, uh, I suspect there were too many contending. Uh, this is almost more from a philosophical point of view than, a, than an actual knowledge point of view, if you like. But I suspect there were too many contending commercial um, issues uh, to try to try to stop the world standard um, taking off, um, and. Uh, you know, it's it surfaced in a number of things. As I understand it, there were a number of areas of broadcasting where the United States, uh, you know, uh, and because it was so large and so influential and so well-funded and so many different private interests involved, um, it, was, it was difficult to get the level of unanimity, if you like, that um, existed in, for example, the European Broadcast Union, which was which was um, a surprisingly important uh, body for the development of teletext in, in Europe. Well, maybe not surprising, but anyway, it was a, an important body for the development of teletext in, on, on this continent. Mm, yeah. So um, with your career at CFAX, you must have seen a few changes in directions with new director generals taking over. Did, um, did the service sort of change during your tenure there? Yes, um, uh, I must say, I speak, I, I mean, I left the BBC over 20 years ago, uh, but um, I'm a, I'm, I remain to this day a huge fan of the BBC and what it does in, in, all, in all aspects, really. Um, but it, uh, and it was great for developing um, CFAX, but, and there inevitably is a but here, um, the politics of an organisation as big as the BBC means sometimes that a service which could be very nimble and fleet of foot like CFAX sometimes got bogged down a bit in politics. So, for example, 
I was at CFAX for about 14 years, I think. I moved from sub-editor to chief sub-editor and then to duty editor and then for a few years to editor. And during those 14 years, uh, CFAX was looked after, if you like, um, by a department called Presentation, which was um, the department that looked after all the continuity announcements between programmes. And also at that time, it looked after the weather. So it, it, it was this sort of odd ragbag of things, continuity analysis between shows, um, weather forecasts, and CFACs were looked after. And we had, we, we had a, a very charming and um, supportive uh, chap leading that department and keen about CFACs and everything else. But it, it, it wasn't sort of, if you like, at the centre of things. And so I think most people in CFACs were delighted a few years later when um, there was a reorganisation all happening above our heads. We had no say in it um, at all. But when there was a reorganisation and CFACs was taken over by the News and Current Affairs Division, as it was then called, um, and it was, that didn't, that didn't, turn it into a completely sort of, you know, grey news only service, but it was wrecking its potential, uh, probably a lot more. But the only problem then was that uh, News and Current Affairs was an absolutely huge, huge, huge department with you know two or three thousand people in it. And there was little old CFAX, which by that time may have had about 25 or 30 people. But we were sometimes thought of as, you know, we felt we were sometimes thought of as the poor relation or the slightly underfunded, slightly forgotten thing, or they don't quite know what to do with us or whatever. Now, I think, I think part of that is because it was a very, it was still a developing need. And uh, I think we were, uh, everybody in the BBC was sort of thinking the absolute best way to, to move it forward. Um, and I, because of my own sort of background and, and ambitions, I suppose, at the time and everything else, I was delighted that it went into news. But um, it, it did put it in a little bit more of a straitjacket, whereas Oracle and then eventually the teletext service on ITV could be very enterprising uh, within BBC News. You have it was quite a uh, you know, you had a, a stricter code uh, professionally to work to. And um, on the one hand, that did develop CFAX. You know, we, were, we had link-ups with some news programmes, which uh, undoubtedly gave us a much higher profile than we would have had otherwise. But on the other hand, it perhaps stopped us um, developing sideways, if you like, to work with other streams of the BBC that might have happened if, if news hadn't uh, taken us over. Yes, so at that time I think the CFAX went went to a service where it went, what was it, at speed on BBC One and in depth on BBC Two with, with the current affair. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's it. Yes, yeah. that's it. Yeah, and, and we and there were sort of one-off odd experiments. For example, um, the BBC Breakfast programme um, 
which I think was originally called Breakfast Time, BBC TV, which was originally called Breakfast Time. And then I'm, I think it might have become Breakfast, and it might now be called Breakfast News. But anyway, uh, it was Breakfast Time at the time, and it was getting revamped after a few years. And so they had this idea of having um, of the programme itself being being a, a slightly harder news programme than it had been previously. It was no longer a Frank Boff in a in a woolly jumper. It was going to be you know a newsreader in a shirt and tie. Um, and to complement that, there was going to be a sort of a rolling news flash provided by CFAX, only viewable by teletext viewers, but um, you know constantly updated during the two or three hours of the program. And so the program would tell its viewers, the presenter would tell TV viewers that you know we're now going over to have I don't know ten minutes about about sport. Uh, during that time, if you want news, call up page 150 and it will cycle through some news flashes and so on. So that was, it was an interesting idea. Uh, actually, that specific idea I thought didn't work terribly well, but it was, that's a sort of a symptom, or not a symptom, a symbol of how the BBC was trying to find a way to use this quite exciting medium to sort of endorse the BBC way of doing things, a very newsy way of doing it. And um, as I say, I think that, uh, you know, it's not giving away any great secrets, especially decades on. But there were some people in CFAX who thought, this is a bit boring, isn't it? This is a bit newsy. Um, and others thought, this is terrific. This is just what it needs. And this plays to the strength of the medium. So um, I found in the latter category, uh, but there were lots of people who were great people who, who were a bit less enthusiastic about it being as news-focused as it became. Hi, I'm Leila Johnston from Shift Run Stop and Hack Circus, and you're listening to the Bite High No Limit podcast. You've been working there for a while. Did you start to see the sun beginning to set on CFAX? Was there was there any sort of like um, anything coming down the pipe that made you think that um, it was going to stop at some point? Probably, probably not. But I think that that owes more to our short sightedness than to uh, than to anything else. I mean, um, by the time uh, I, I do remember a call coming into the newsroom, I think I was I had become duty editor. That I'm trying to work out when that would have been, but sort of mid late eighties. And there was a call came in, and um, maybe it was about 1990. But somebody somebody had heard of this thing called the internet. There was something going on to do with this thing called the internet. And I remember a call coming in, and uh, I can't remember which of the colleagues it was, but my colleague took the call. And um, it, 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 there was some, some idea about putting, some people advocated at the time, and because the internet at that point was entirely a technology-driven exercise of interest to and known about the technical person rather than the the general person. And there was a feeling, surely surely CFAC should go on to the internet and should be available via, uh, you know, via that means rather than via the vertical blanking interval and everything that seemed suddenly became a bit passe. Um, and I remember that person saying, no, 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 nobody's, nobody's heard of that way of doing anything. Lots of people have heard of CFAC because at that point there were you know, some millions of sets in the country that could receive 
CFAX, Oracle, and uh, Teletext in general. And um, therefore, we, we sort of thought we were the norm. And I think uh, I, I left before the internet sort of grabbed, grabbed everybody by the balls, so to speak. Um, uh, but I think it was clear by that time we were going out. But I, I, I'll be quite honest, I don't think any of us thought it was going to happen as quickly or as comprehensively as it did. I think in retrospect, uh, and there's, there's, there's nothing as great as um, retrospective rewriting of history. We all feel now we've sort of pioneered the internet, um, which may or may not be the case. But uh, we, we certainly feel that uh, what went on to become BBC Online in its early days was actually run by one or two people who were in the latter days of CFAX. Mm. So there was a clear overlap. Uh, and and it was only a, a few years ago that one or two people who worked at CFAX when I was there, which which now is sort of in the appears to be in the Middle Ages, really. But um, there were one or two people who were there who were still working at BBC Online until only a few years ago. So um, there was a, there was an obvious migration across. But I have to say, at the time um, I was there. Uh, it may have been short-sightedness on our part, but I think we, we thought we had reached um, a successful level with teletext mm. without necessarily seeing it as, as shortly to be you know, shot out of the water by, by a much greater thing called the internet. Mm. Yeah. Well, what was your uh, fondest memories of teletext in, or working at CFAC? Oh. oh, fantastic. Well, I, it, was my, it was my first sort of, proper journalism i done i done sort of you know when i was a teenager and time at university and everything else i'd done sort of summer jobs in local radio in the west country where i'm from and um you know lots of things like that but working at cfax was my proper first proper continuous journalistic job so from that point of view it it is surrounded by you know uh, a fantastic warm glow, I have to say. Uh, it was it was a fantastic team. We we knew we knew we were at the start of something that was going to develop, and appeared to be developing well. Um, and it, it and we were lucky in the BBC actually because we weren't really we didn't really have to worry about sort of financial insecurity for the service. Of course, ultimately anything can get cut in the BBC and we all know that happens all the time but um, uh, we, we knew it was developing so we, we, we didn't really fear for our jobs at any point which I know you know lots of other parts of journalism have done all the time so therefore that allowed us a rather warmer glow and um, uh, it was great it was great working with a mix of people doing a mix of things uh, I particularly like the feeling that we gradually drew in people who were clearly early on, uh, not necessarily starting, but early on in their journalistic careers. And I, I found it a great source of pride that CFAX became something that people who wanted to be journalists and were journalists felt was a, a, um, a legitimate and um, perfectly respectable thing to do at the BBC because when I when I joined CFAX my peers as um, news trainees at the time um, 
frankly thought of as bonkers. They they all wanted to do these sort of, you know, um, higher level jobs. They wanted to work in the West in Westminster, or they wanted to work in, um, you know, the world at one, or they wanted to work at the ten o'clock news. Um, and, and they thought of, I was mad, and and I was sort of, um, although although there obviously were other journalists who had been at CFAX before me. Uh, I suppose I was the first one to sort of come through the BBC machine as a journalist and choose CFAX. And I was delighted in my sort of 14 years there that by the end of that time, it was absolutely routine that people who joined CFAX had been journalists elsewhere in the BBC. And, and, and you know, there are several, you've already spoken with Steve Rosenberg, but there were several others um, who are who remain, in fact, now uh, BBC people who spent at least a, a while at CFAX and they contributed to CFAX and I hope CFAX contributed to their journalistic skills as we spoke about. Yeah. Oh, they demonstrably did, yeah, that's for sure. So um, what, what do you get up to now, Graham? What did you move on to? Uh, well, um, uh, within the BBC, um, I moved on from... CFAX to something called news gathering, which is um, uh, it's a sort of an all-embracing part of the news department that really, uh, I suppose, for want of a better term, could look after the correspondents and reporters. So when you see, you know, Jeremy Bowen in in Ukraine, this is now clearly I'm talking about twenty odd years ago, but um, when you see him in Ukraine or you see, you know, a correspondent uh, reporting on what's happening in um, uh, in France or wherever, or, or with Trump in the United States, they all work for this department called News Gathering. And so I got a sort of a junior managerial role there. But I have to say, it fast became clear uh, to me that what I really wanted to be was a, a journalist and not a manager. And I suspect I was a great deal better at being a, a journalist than I was a manager. So very late 90s, just before the millennium, um, I left the BBC uh, to go freelance and I'd already developed an interest in property. That was um, becoming quite a big thing in the media at that point. Um, just about all of the newspapers were beginning to have property supplements. TV programmes like um, Location, Location with Phil Spencer and all the other programmes like that were beginning to appear on TV. So the whole property lifestyle um, uh, subject was beginning to be quite popular. So I was quite interested in it, especially from the sort of um, property business, housing market side. Um, so I I really lucked into that, really. So I left the BBC late in 1999, started doing freelancing, moved to back to the southwest, which is where I'm from originally, um, and for the last 22 years or more now, I've been a, a freelance uh, journalist. Uh, currently, I write mostly for um, Sunday Times and the Daily Mail about uh, property and housing markets. But I also write two property industry online newsletters, uh, one for landlords and one for letting agents. Um they are uh, extraordinarily anorakish. Um, that you know, you, you sort of got to uh, have a peculiar interest in in renting and things like that to be interested in those newsletters. But the other publications, the the, the Times and the um, 
and the male are for are consumer facing, as they say, and um, therefore therefore general readers. Um, it's quite interesting, actually, because the online newsletters I do uh, each day there are multiple stories, but they're quite short, and although they are longer than the old CFAX stories, they still use the same, or they require me to use the same editorial discipline of turning something that could be quite complex and could be quite dry and boring, to be honest, uh, into something much shorter and much more interesting, if possible. So, um, you know, I've, I've always banged the drum for the qualities of teletext writing, and I think um, I still use it to the day, you know, to today, 40-odd years after I, I started at, um, at CFAX. So where do we find your um, property output? Can we find that anywhere online? Oh, yep, yep. There's plenty. Um, uh, I mean, uh, if, if, you, if you are really short of things to do uh, and people, people, should really recon- people should reconsider their lifestyles if they are this short of things to do. But if you Google my name, you'll find, you'll find a, a fair few things. If you look at something called Landlord Today online, you'll see a lot of my work and the same something called letting agent today they're pretty specialist things um and i also contribute to another sister publication and believe it or not that's called a state agent today so um uh, there's a there's there's a lot of me online um uh not much from not hardly anything from the cfax days i have to say but um that's because sadly we sort of just slightly missed both chronologically on that but but i have been fascinated in the last few years there seems to have been a genuine um a gen- well uh, there's always a bit of nostalgia for everything in this country and so that that cfax uh, has not escaped that if you like and there's a certain nostalgia for cfax and for the teletext medium but also i think there's a recognition now that it it, it it's got a, a little bit of a place in the history of, um, of of how we get our information, whether that's football results or election results. And if it's not unreasonable, can I just ask, why have you sort of resuscitated, one could say resuscitated, the concept of teletext to, to, talk, to talk to us old veterans of the medium? Well, it's because... Um personally um you know the stories need to be told and then you know they need yeah. to be listened to and then people people can then you know take from that the experiences of people that that, that works it it's just as um it, it's just as fascinating uh to to me and hopefully to people in the future you know as um yeah as, as we would listen to a as we would listen to an old recording of someone you know using a steam train or something like that maybe graham but um yeah. you know the story has to be told because um if no one asks the questions then um then 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 the answers can't be uh put on tape so to speak so that, that yeah. that's really what, what it is and um it's a lovely you know it's a lovely anthology of uh, memories and stories that i'm getting yeah. Um, you know, and 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 yeah, they, they've been they've been really enjoyable to to, to gather. Yeah. And, um, you know. It, well, I think I think we I think we owe you a bit of a vote of thanks as a <laughs> we're now a rather disparate group of people dotted around the country at different ages and everything else. But I think we probably owe you a vote of thanks for do, doing it in such a you know an enjoyable and um, 
uh, fascinating way. Oh, well, that's very kind of you to say. It's um, you know, all I have to do is sit back and listen. I'm I'm a bit of an agent provocateur, <laughs> really. But uh, uh, you know, it, it's just um, you know, it it that this is the this is what the internet's for. It, it's for it's for collecting experiences, mm. you know. And um, mm. you know, it, it's always fascinated me with teletext, and I never thought I'd speak to the engine drivers on the other side of the TV screen. One common theme is that we all look back on it quite fondly, mm. actually, I think. And, and, you know, with, with proper respect, because it was a proper thing to do, but also it was a, it was a, fun, it was a fun thing to be, be in at the start of. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. Well, thank you very much for thinking of me and tracking me down. And a big thank you once again for Graham Norwood for uh, appearing on this podcast. I hope you enjoy these podcasts as much as I do making them. If you want to support it in any way at all, you can always like or um, leave us a review on one of the podcast apps. Uh, you can also, if you feel inclined, leave a donation on my Kofi page, which is kofi.com forward slash bite high. Uh, thanks again to Meat Lotion for being uh, my first contributor to that. Anything like that just goes towards the general podcast hosting costs, and that's about it. Maybe a bit of publicity material as well, but, um, you know, no one's going to be buying a yacht on the money. So um, just hope you enjoy listening to all of these. Music is supplied by Mr. Nisness, as in business, and you can find him on Bandcamp at mrnisness uh, at bandcamp.com. Teletext People is presented by me, Carl Natural, and he's a bite high, no limit production. So, until next time... Keep it blocky. here it's over go home go